to three as we have been and the uh, title added in the NIV though obviously not in the the original Greek is to the church in Laodicea so we're starting from verse 14 to the angel of the church in Laodicea write these are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I come in, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Graham. Well, we've, we've reached our final destination on our whistle-stop tour of the seven cities, our little sort of coach tour, shall we say, around modern-day Turkey, with John the Evangelist at the wheel and Jesus acting as our tour guide. And we've moved south to the city of Laodicea, number seven on the map just there, a city renowned as a center of banking, of uh, fine textiles, and a city that was relatively wealthy. In fact, it was probably the wealthiest of the seven cities written to in this little series of letters. And the church there thinks it's doing okay. It's all right, thank you very much, but it's in for a shock. It's in for a shock as it hears this message from Jesus. Words which actually are full of condemnation for the state that they've got themselves in. It seems that Jesus saves his harshest words till last. And yet they're words that are motivated by a deep and profound love and a desire for their healing and a desire for the very best for them. It seems that what has happened is that they've fallen in with the attitudes and the culture of the society around them, a society, as I say, of relative wealth and comfort. And the church has become complacent and it's lost sight of its true purpose going to speak about that in terms of three eyes. The first one is indifferent. They'd become indifferent in that they'd become half-hearted in their life and in their witness. They were neither hot nor cold, like a light, lukewarm water supply, which was good for nothing. Now, I was um, uh, illuminated the other day when one of our young adults in a Wednesday night meeting with uh, Joseph and various others was talking about his trip to Laodicea at Easter time. 
and he filled us in on uh, how it all works down there and the fact that there were springs, there were hot springs to the north in a place called Hierapolis. And then to the south in Colossae, there were cold springs which were clean and refreshing to drink from. But Laodicea, caught in the middle, had perpetual problems with its water supply, which was brought by aqueduct six miles from the south. And by the time the water supply reached Laodicea, it had become lukewarm. It was lime-laden, it was tepid, it was undrinkable. The kind of water that makes you sick. Now, to be honest, there's a little bit of irony in this illustration for me, um, because on Tuesday afternoon, I was driving along the M4 from Swindon back to Bristol when my engine overheated. Warning lights came on, and I had to pull over to the side, and we had breakdown trucks and towed back to Bristol and all of that. And I was um, sitting on the embankment on the side of the M4, and I thought, what shall I do with my time? Because I'd been told that they'd be probably about 60 to 90 minutes. And I thought, I know, I'll make good use of my time. I'll start putting my sermon together for next Sunday. And it struck me as somewhat ironic that I would have preferred the water in my engine to be lukewarm rather than hot. But here I was preaching a message about being hot and not lukewarm. But never mind. Here, clearly, the lukewarm Christian or the lukewarm church receives short shrift. Jesus is using a strong image to make his point, an image of spitting the church out of his mouth. Hence, hence this slide I found, which I wasn't 100% co- uh, comfortable with. The next one, sorry. Making God gag. <laughs> but I think it expressed something of the seriousness of what Jesus is saying he's got no time at all for a half-baked, indifferent Christianity. The church is as much used cold as it is lukewarm. So they were indifferent. They were also independent. They'd lost sight of the need for God and for his intervention. They'd become self-sufficient. And so in verse 17, we heard these words. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. You see, they were quite happy bumbling along on their own. The richest of the seven churches, and with wealth comes a sense of independence. They felt they didn't need the help of others. In fact, there was an incident uh, a few years after this letter was written where there was an earthquake in the city, and uh, they refused to accept the help of the wider community because they thought they could do it all themselves. And it was that sort of attitude that had crept into the church. They were independent. They were also ignorant, ignorant of what they're really like, blinded to the reality of where they'd got to, chugging along quite happily, but ineffective, irrelevant, and impotent. And so verse 17 continues, But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What a description! Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Not good. There's a phrase uh, banded about quite a lot at the moment. Um, I've certainly heard it a few times. And it's uh, one of cultural Christianity. And it describes the state of the church in this nation. 
or at least the attitudes of many in this nation who might say, well, I've got, a, I've got an affinity with the church, but I'm not quite prepared to throw myself in completely. Maybe they identify themselves with the morality, uh, the rituals, the history, the community, community elements of faith, but wouldn't go as far as submitting to the lordship of Christ. And Jesus' words speak directly to a church or to people who so easily lean towards that sort of cultural Christianity, or churchianity as we might call it, but actually indifferent, ignorant, and independent. I have um, an incredible privilege with my work with Hazemir and with my uh, work with young people here. Um, seeing so many young people who are absolutely passionate about their faith and red hot with a desire to live for God and to speak for him, to witness for him and to stand up for what they believe. And it's fantastic to see. It's such an encouragement. It's inspiring, but at the same time, it can be immensely challenging. It keeps me on my toes, certainly as I reflect on my own faith and that of the wider church in the UK. Now, you might say, well, yeah, teenage faith, it's, you know, maybe a bit naive sometimes, maybe a bit immature sometimes. But let's not knock it. It certainly beats indifference and independence and ignorance. Sets an example for us as adults. Just go back to that description, Jesus' description of the Laodicean church. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus offers an antidote to the Christians in Laodicea. Recognizing their poverty, their spiritual poverty, he speaks of buying gold refined in the fire. He's saying that true wealth is found in me. Recognizing their blindness, he speaks of the eye salve, and uh, Laodicea was also famous for its eye salve. He's talking about their need to recover their spiritual sight, to see the world as God sees it. And then their nakedness, he speaks of white clothes or white robes to wear, symbols of purity, symbols of holiness, symbols of the age to come. All symbols of transformation, of new life, and of healing. He's saying, I haven't given up on you yet. You may be wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, but I'm offering you these things, and there is hope, there is a way forward. And then in the face of their indifference, their ignorance, and their independence, we hear these words. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them, and they with me. Wow. Despite all they're getting wrong, they're not condemned. Jesus still stands there waiting, longing for them to turn back to him, to rediscover their first love. And that, my friends, is the message of the whole of the Bible, the whole of Scripture. The message of the prophets when Israel turns its back on God and God calls people to encourage people and convince people to come back to him. It's the message of the Gospels. Just look at the parable of a prodigal son, the one that wanders away and does his own thing. And yet the father welcomes him back with open arms. 
The message of Paul's letters as Paul expresses deep longing for holiness and fruitfulness and healing. And it's a recurring theme in these letters to the churches, these chapters of Revelation. Jesus, in his words, doesn't shy away from the truth. He doesn't beat about the bush. And his words to us might seem somewhat harsh and direct. But they always come from a heart of love and always, always, always offer hope. It's this verse that motivated Holman Hunt to paint this famous image. The light of a world. It's been used by preachers across the world over the years to encourage men and women, boys and girls, to open the door and let Jesus, the light of the world, in. There are two originals. One um, hangs in Keble College in Oxford. The other, a larger one, which was painted 25 years later, can be found in St. Paul's Cathedral. And I'm told that as you wander past either of these images, it's as if the eyes of Jesus are following you. The eyes of love and compassion. Jesus longing for his people to open the door and let him in. And in Holman Hunt's picture, there's no handle on the door where Jesus stands knocking because the handle's on the other side. Jesus doesn't burst in like a stormtrooper to sort us out. He makes his presence felt with a a gentle and sometimes not so gentle knocking. And we have to choose to open the door. His white robes, the eye salve, the refined God are there for us. But they're dependent on us responding to his voice. In the terms of the overall message of these letters to Revelation, when we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and we respond. We are the church. We stand at the doorway of a new era in church life, building on 180 years of faithful witness as we go back into our reordered building next weekend. If Jesus was speaking to us today, I wonder what he would say. I doubt he'd give us a completely clean bill of health. But I do know he'd ultimately offer a message of hope. And so the call to us is to recognize where we've gone wrong. The call to us is to recognize where we've become independent or ignorant. Where we've become indifferent to his word, his truth, his life to recognize those things, to turn from those things, and to recommit ourselves to listen for his voice, to respond in obedience, and encourage one another to live lives that really count. And so we're going to respond in worship with two songs, both of which speak of a total commitment to him and to his purposes. And as we stand together, we're expressing something as individuals about our desire to live wholeheartedly for Christ, but we're also expressing something about our desire as a community, community gathered together in worship as we go forward, that we might put Christ at the very centre and respond to what he has to say to us through his word and by his spirit. So let's stand and let's sing together. Jesus, all for Jesus. Jesus.